There are those who say that life is an illusion, and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. Look who the birds have brought us this week. Welcome, and congratulations for crossing the threshold of realities. There's much to share if you know the language of the birds. Greetings, one and all. It's been a minute since we last gathered between thresholds, and that is because we have been focused on amalgamating our offerings and services on our website, sophiastargate.space, so that you would be able, as a member, to take advantage of a number of options that are exclusive to those who subscribe. Those who are patrons of this podcast have automatically been included. Please consider joining if you haven't already. Welcome back to the God Box Cafe. I have a special guest who is no stranger to adversity and alienation, a world traveler who started her spiritual journey beginning with her arrival in Uganda but she has made her way to a multitude of other places, both terrestrially and celestially. And as a consequence of this, her relationship with the Crystal Kingdom is something we are going to elaborate on in the discussion. I would like you all to wholeheartedly welcome Jeanette McKinnon, who is going to generously share her personal journey and how she got to where she is and what she has in the way of skills that she is presenting to the world to better improve our perception of reality and how we navigate through this ever-changing transitional paradigm-shifting reality. Welcome to the God Box Cafe, Jeanette. And as a precursor, I would like to tell the listening audience that Jeanette is currently in Mexico, and the noises that you may hear occasionally as we have our conversation are courtesy of the magnificent nature that surrounds her. So you may hear a macaw or two chirping in the background when they feel they want to contribute. So just a note of warning, if those noises are heard in the background, there's nothing we can do about nature contributing, and I actually welcome it. So... Happy to have you on our show, Jeanette. Thank you so much for this invitation. I've always enjoyed our conversations. Well, this is why I want to be able to share this with the public at large. So let's get started with a little a rundown in terms of how you began and how you made it to where you are now. Oh, well, there's the long version and the short version. I'll warn you first off, my friends often comment that I am a storyteller, and I have great stories, but my friend has often commented, sometimes I just want a yes or no answer. So I do tend to wax on because I do love stories, and I have a lot of stories. My parents were working in Uganda, Africa. Uganda is a very small country right next to Kenya, and no, they were not missionaries. They had a contract, and then we, after five years, we moved, we returned to Canada, so then I did everything I could to try and fit into normal. 
But being born in Africa was not a big start for normal. I would go to school and people were just constantly like, you are so weird. Where did you come from? What planet are you from? For many years, I did try normal. I really tried. I had a very good university education. I had a very strong career. I had a really stunning marriage, ended up with a beautiful home. And then when I was about 31, all of that came crashing down. And I never expected that would happen. I was shocked, overwhelmed, and didn't know how to go forward. My family are travelers. My grandmother, my mother, my sisters, my nieces. seems to be a genetic thing for the women in my family. We're all travelers. So I had been able to travel before um, on my own and when I was married, but never long enough. So I told my mom, I think I'm going to go and I'm going to do a six-month round-the-world tour. And that should get the traveling bug out of me, and then I'll come back and give normal another try. What I found happened for me is that when I started traveling, I didn't know who I was anymore because I had been in this long-term relationship that I thought was going to end up being my forever relationship. I thought we'd end up with grandchildren on our knees, sitting on the rocking chairs on the front porch. And so when all of that ended, I didn't know who I was anymore as a single person. What did, what were my dreams? What did I want for myself? So that was the wonderful thing about when I first started traveling is, is that I would meet these people who had no idea who I was. So I got to try out different personas. I had seen somebody do such and such before. and I thought, oh, I was never brave enough to do that. OK, I'll try that next. And the benefit was is that this was before Facebook, before Internet. So if I made a mess of it, these people, I was never going to see them again. I was never going to have consequences in a social media post later. So I got to try all these different personas in terms of how I'd wished I'd been or seeing someone else be brave or outrageous or extraordinary. And I got to try them. So that was the first three years of my traveling. And then I did go back to Canada thinking, okay, I think I'm done. I did three years and I just sort of kept following the summer. So I had like six years of summer and I went back after three years to Canada, but I had changed so much and Canada had changed so much. So after six months, I was on the road again. And so now it is 34 years later and I live in Mexico now and this is country number 38. And this is my normal. I follow my heart. I follow my guidance and I just allow for whatever's going to come in. I don't as much have a big to-do plan anymore. I try and really follow guidance, follow my heart, and see where it takes me. That's generally how I ended up in Mexico. But in terms of what happened to get to Mexico, many of us have what we call the, the dark night of the soul. And if you've been through that, you know how debilitating and overwhelming and terrifying it is to get back again. Well, mine was not a dark night of the soul. It was a dark six months of the soul. In 2019, I lost just about everything. I felt like all that I was left was standing, just standing in my skin. That's all I had, the skin that I was standing in. I lost my health, my wealth, my beloved. But the biggest loss of all was the loss of faith in myself. Faith in myself and faith in trusting God and goddess. The biggest thing was is that I was as a strong person, very self-aware, very spiritually grounded and focused. And I just never imagined that I would end up in a place where I just didn't even know how to stand up again. 
that has been a long journey to come back from. And it has been just literally one day at a time. There are days that I couldn't get up. And I had to learn to accept myself where I was. Even though I wasn't where I wanted to be, this is where I was. And that was what really was the beginning of turning it around, is that learning how to accept and love myself where I was at. Four months ago, five months ago, I just declared to myself and to the universe, is I want more. I had diminished myself down to so small because that's as much as I felt comfortable with. But it wasn't, it's not who I am. I'm quite a, a big person. And I wanted more. And I just declared, I want more. What is more? And more for me is freedom to make choices, freedom to make changes, freedom to go in one direction or go in another direction. And so then I started exploring for myself, well, what would that look like? What would that feel like? I got reacquainted with law of attraction. For me, I mean, I don't know how law of gravity works, but I can't deny that it works. And it's the same with law of attraction. Even if you don't know how it works, it's always working. And so I got reacquainted with law of attraction and realized that, that as much as I would love to be able to blame 2019 on somebody else, I created it. I created it for my own purposes and my own growth opportunities and the healing that I needed. And I had to accept that. I had to accept that I had created the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if I could create such a miserable mess, that meant that I could also create a marvelous masterpiece. And that's when I started turning things around. And now I'm standing, I'm getting ready to fly, and I really want to be there to support others. You know, a lot of people in these last few years feel like they've lost everything. And it may not even be that they've lost anything physical, but they may have lost their faith. They may have lost their trust. They may have lost a sense of purpose or a sense of even, how do I get out of this? Or how do I change this? And so this is where I really decided that my mission and my purpose is to support others and helping them to stand up again. I do this through a variety of tools that I brought in with me in this lifetime. And one of them is working with crystals. Well, I was very fortunate when I had gone back after that three years and I was living in Vancouver, I had seen a flyer for a workshop. And this workshop was discover the strongest past life you had as a woman. And I was like, well, I don't even know if I believe in past lives. So I contacted her. And she said, well, you know what? If you're calling me, it's because you're ready. Just trust that. Wow, interesting. So I did. I went and I took her first workshop and it changed my life. She ended up becoming my mentor and my coach. And she does a lot of work with crystals. And so that's why I started learning about crystals. And she would teach me about the name of a crystal, the properties of a crystal, how to work with the crystals. And I would remember. I have a girlfriend who was also on her own journey and she was collecting crystals as well. And she could never remember. She had to put little pieces of paper under her crystals. Yet I always remembered. So I realized I had an extraordinary connection with crystals. So I went back to my mentor. Her name is Lauren. And I went back and I said, I'd like to do a past life regression to find out what this connection with crystals is about. And so it turns out that I was a crystal keeper in Atlantis. Crystals were, some of them were the size of buildings. And so I was humanoid in form, but crystalline in energy. And I could actually enter into what I would call my crystal and I could communicate. And so I actually speak crystal. That's the gift that I brought in with me. And so when I started learning more and more about this gift, it was just a lesson about trusting, 
trusting what was coming in, trusting in how I could evolve and use it to be of service with others. And slowly it has evolved into these crystal readings, crystal workshops, crystal layouts, clarity sessions, a variety of different sessions that I offer. And I have a friend who, he started out as a client, became a friend because he kept coming back and, oh, I need a new reading. I, what's going on? What's going on? He said why he keeps coming back for readings is because not only does he get the guidance that he needs at the time, but also I offer what he calls practical spirituality. Because sometimes we get a lot of information, but how do I get up again? What do I do with this? How do I go forward? And that's what I offer a lot of as well is tools. Tools on just a, you know how to get through the day, how to really uh, make some changes, make some choices, may change direction. It has been a journey of my own, which I feel has really given me a strong foundation in terms of how I can support and assist others in their journey. That wasn't the long one, but it wasn't the short one either. <laughs> I can certainly say, and spoken like a true Virgo, I have to say, you are absolutely the embodiment of that magnificent energy of practical, mutable earth that is of service to others. And I have personally had the benefit of having a couple of readings done with you. And most assuredly, I can confirm what your friend, client, who keeps coming back has said. This is extremely important when one isn't in a place where they have any familiarity with heart-centered navigation. The notion of trusting your intuition and your inner guidance is not something that that has been cultivated in our society or even within our family dynamic or educational system. So if you fall upon it by accident, it almost feels as though you have to second guess yourself and check back with your brain and determine whether there's any validity to what it is that you're feeling. So what would you suggest if someone has never embarked on this before and is trying to figure out how to find that path between the heart and the head, how the crystals would be able to facilitate a bridge between those energies and how intuitively a person can utilize this information after you've provided it through the grids that is very empowering because the crystals are the ones each individual chooses and then you put them in a sequence. So there is an actual direct involvement on the part of the client with respect to those energies they themselves have chosen. That is one of the qualities of what you bring to the table, which is unique. It's not a question of you preaching or standing from a, a higher place of learning and saying, this is what you need to do now. It's more a question of holding a person's hand, helping them with the interpretation and giving them an overall theme with respect to the information that's coming through. So how did you arrive at that specific methodology and share perhaps a bit with the listeners? What were the steps that got you to the point where you elaborated on such an extremely meaningful and empowering method? That's a big question. <laughs> Being alone. When I started traveling, I was traveling as a, as a single person. I was traveling on my own. Now, the thing about traveling on your own, you're only alone as long as you want to be because there's always other travelers going in the same direction you are or whatever. So you can always join other people. But basically, I was traveling on my own. So that meant that I had to become my everything. I need to talk to myself, listen to myself, give myself the support I needed. And I started journaling. 
And I started meditating and I started going to sacred sites and I started just really, because we don't give ourselves that time. That was one of the things that when I thought I was going back to Canada that first time after the three years, and I went back to work and I'd say, well, you know, to a friend, can we get together? And they'd pull out their day planner and two weeks from now on a Tuesday, they would have two hours to fit me in. And so people were just not making time for themselves to listen because we all have our own answers. It's just how do you access them? Well, first of all, you have to turn off the chatter. And that's what I've really noticed is that people have such full lives or maybe they're frightened to go within. And so they just don't make those opportunities or learn how to go within. So that was the first thing is I think that was a big, huge gift to myself. Sometimes you can give these gifts and aren't even fully aware of it, but the gift is just being alone, you know, and I had no one else to talk to. So I might as well talk to myself. And so journaling, journaling is a powerful, powerful way to start allowing yourself to speak in a way that you hear what you most needed to hear. So that was a big thing. And then when I would do my meditations or I would work with crystals and I would start getting input or guidance or um, images or feelings and I just had to learn to trust them. And that's the biggest thing is, is that we're not taught or even encouraged to trust a source that is not government or our parents or our church or our friends. We're not shown how to empower ourselves. And so that was a big, big growth for me is learning how to trust what I was receiving. And as I started then offering these gifts to other people and doing these sessions with people, I would open myself, I open myself as a channel. And so I connect with their guides as well as the guides of the crystals. And I give information that there's no possible way I could have known beforehand. Some of these people I've just met five minutes before they sit down at my table. So I give them information from their guides that their guides really want them to know because the truth is our guides are always around us. Whether or not we believe in guides or not, they believe in us. And they're always around us. And so think about the times where suddenly a book falls open and you read the page and it's like, oh my God, that's just what I needed to know. Or you're driving in the car and a song starts playing and you're like, oh, that's it. Or sometimes an animal comes on your path and animals have their own messages as well. Our guides are always around us and it's learning how to watch for them and trust when they are there and giving us our guidance, because the more that we open up and trust to them, then the more present, the more that they can show us that they're there with us. So I, that's what I do in a session is I open up to the person's guides. The very first thing in the session is, is that the guides want them to have more awareness about what the bigger picture is. Because so often what happens, we get caught up in our day-to-day -day world and we don't really see where this is taking us or understand why this is happening. And we get caught up with our to-do list. But the truth is there's a whole bigger picture about what's really about uh, behind this or underneath this or why it's so important. And so this is what our guides want us to know is what's the clarity that we need so that we have more awareness of what the bigger picture is. Because when you have that awareness, then you make the best choices for yourself. 
So that's how I open the session. And then what I do, like you said, is that the client then chooses their own crystals. I provide a PDF sheet of crystals that we work with in the session. And then I have all of the crystals with me in front. And so when they pick those crystals, then I can move them over and then we start working with them. So as you said, it's not me standing on high preaching. It's them working with their guides and I am the interpreter. And that's what I see my role at. Because I remember when I first started giving workshops, I would get so caught up with, don't forget to say this. And, oh, it's really important that they need to hear that. And I got really caught up with what I needed to say. And then one day I was having a workshop and I realized that I wasn't even in my body. I was sort of sitting on the right-hand side and spirit had come in. There was just no way. The information, the guides, the clarity, and the inspiration that was coming out of my mouth, there was no way it was coming from me. So I, there I am sitting over a spirit on my right-hand side wishing, I wish I could take notes. This is good stuff. And what I learned from that is it's not about me being careful what I need to say because God knows what they need to hear. And that's all my job is, is to be an interpreter for the information that comes through because it comes through in different ways. And so I have learned how to interpret. And it's almost like, imagine that you've got a rug and there's a loose thread. And if you pull that thread, the whole rug unravels. And that's sort of what I get, is that I'm given a small little image. And then if I am willing to trust that image and sort of pull the thread, tug on it a little, then all of a sudden it opens up. So it's just been learning, learning how to trust what comes in. So now you ask me, how would somebody start? How do they start trusting their own intuition, their own guidance? How do they start accessing their heart? Because we have been taught that we have to be wise for our head. But our head is ego. And ego is all about fear. Ego is about fear because ego believes its job is to keep us safe and safe from fear. And the what ifs and how it didn't work and why did it turn out that way? When ego is not going to get you into love because there's only two vibrations. There's only the vibration of fear and the vibration of love. And if you're in the vibration of fear, then you can't even reach the vibration of love. But if you're in the vibration of love, fear can't even touch you. So that's the first thing is to recognize that generally most people are in the vibration of fear. So how do you do? Because what happens is, when you go into fear, your body goes into fight or flight. And that's all your body is going to be looking is how can I stay safe? How can I stay safe? And so all of that energy and attention is going to go into feeding your heart and your lungs so that you can run or fight or whatever you need to. But you can never access your intuition from a pace of fear. So that's the first thing, to soothe your body so your body knows you're safe. So there's a company called Nonviolent Communication, and they are associated with another company called HeartMass. And they have started this amazing process, and they have a lot of different workshops. And there's one particular tool that I use a lot, which is called heart breathing. And so what this does is you imagine that you're inhaling through your heart, not inhaling through your nose, but you're inhaling through the front of your heart. And you hold that breath in your heart and imagine what it's doing while it's in there is it's cleaning everything that's out there. The fears, the doubts, the baggage, the wounds, all those things that keep you wounded and small. And then what you do is you exhale out of the back of your heart. And so you need to be in a, just a quiet place. You can just step away for a minute. It doesn't have to go into a meditative state or anything, but just go somewhere where you can be a little more quiet. And then you just pay attention. And breathe in through the front of your heart 
hold it in your heart, and then exhale out of the back. Now, you do this either three times or five times. There's sacred numerology. If you're doing it more than that, it's because you're not really fully present and able to really give it when it needs. So within three breaths or five breaths, you will feel a difference. You will feel a calm. You will feel much more secure, stable. And then that's how you can access your heart. Because now your body has been soothed. Now your body knows that you're safe. Another tool is it's your inner child. All of us have our inner child within us. And sadly, most of us have a wounded inner child. So that inner child is scared and doesn't know who to trust and has been carrying these wounds around. And so she or he needs a constant reminder. And so I find now that a trick that a tool that I've been using a lot these last few weeks is, is that whenever I know that I'm out of balance, that I've gone into fear, when I'm in fear and doubt, I stop and I recognize it's my little girl. She needs a hug. So what I do, again, it's a mantra, and I do this with breath work. So taking a deep breath in, you are safe. Taking another deep breath, everything is okay. And taking one more breath, I love you. And put as much energy into those words as you can imagine that you've got your little girl or your little boy in front of you. And they just need to hear these words so that they know that they are safe. And again, you do this with breath work at either three times or five times. Again, that will help to soothe you. You cannot access your own knowing and your own intuition when you're in fear and doubt. And so those are two tools. The other one that I really recommend is there's an active energy about colors. So yes, I work with crystals, but crystals are usually based about colors. And if you know chakras, chakras have specific colors. And so when you know what the properties of a chakra are, then you know what the properties of those colors are. And any stone that's the same color has those properties. So when you're wanting to bring in that energy, your heart is the only chakra that actually has two colors. Because think about that. Your heart is all about love. So when you open your heart to give, then it makes more space to receive. Then when you've received more, then you have more to give. So the receiving color is pink and the giving color is green. So whenever you want to help yourself move into more vibrational frequency, start wearing those colors. Now, some people don't want to wear pink. Okay, fine. Wear pink underwear. You know, you don't have to have a pink shirt or a pink pair of pants. You can just go to a store and get a bunch of ribbons, pretty ribbons, and carry them on your left side because that's your receiving side and you want to bring in that energy. So what that does is it brings that vibration of that energy to help your vibration. So those are a bunch of tools that I find have really, really helped me. That's incredible. And I'm certain everyone's ears have perked up now because this is all about people figuring out ways in which they can bring these skills into their daily routines, not have to sit and navel gaze for 20 years before you arrive at a point where enlightenment is achieved because time has accelerated and it doesn't take as long as it did in decades earlier to raise one's frequency because as it stands now where the earth is located in the sky and the plasma that is in our atmosphere 
access to that information is readily available, provided you take these steps. And I think based on what you just described, everyone has at least that much time in the day to dedicate to themselves, give themselves permission to do these what seem like extraordinarily simple things, but they are massively profound in their scope and in their potency. People will start seeing results very, very quickly. This is not something that one would have to wait to make manifest in the years to come. What was it about when you had the PDF that I looked at and chose the stones, what was it that made you choose those stones out of a myriad? I mean, the Crystal Kingdom is huge. So how did you reduce that to the number of those that are presented for the purposes of doing the grid work? Well, first of all, we have to recognize is that stones pick you just as much as you pick stones. Stones have their own sole purpose. And so these are stones that have picked me. These are part of my collection. When I do a reading in person, then I have a bigger collection, but these are the ones that showed up for when I put together that PDF. And so these are stones that I have been working with over years and they have picked me because this is part of their sole purpose. What's also interesting in the PDF that I use in online readings is that there will be maybe three different types of a yellow stone. So stones, even though they have the same color, will because of either a difference in their shape or a difference because there's spots on one of them or there's a crack in other of them, they will have different meanings, not just based on what the stone is or what the color is. So the stones have just made themselves known to me and I have learned how to trust that. That is a crucial point with respect to trusting that these energies will present themselves and then making space to allow for those energies to cascade into your little energetic egg. What, on the whole, in terms of the clients that you've had until now, would you say have been the biggest issues that people bring to you that they need in some way to be resolved or to get beyond so that they can plan for a future that they can realize? I think the biggest thing is so many people diminish themselves. When you ask somebody, what is your dream? Or what do you think your purpose is? Or who do you think you are? They will tend to diminish themselves, make themselves smaller. Because either they have been shot down when they were little kids and they talked about their big dreams, or they have not had enough encouragement to say, man, I believe in you, you got this. And so they've gotten so that they live smaller and smaller because it feels safer and safer. And so I would say that's one of the biggest things that shows up was in sessions that people just need confirmation because they know who they are. They really do. If they can reach that inner part of themselves and that time when they were kids and they believed in magic and they believed in fairies and dragons and you could jump off the roof and fly, they really are this magnificent being that they have either lost touch with it or been so wounded. That's what I see so often in the sessions. The information that they get out of the sessions is, first of all, clarity. There's so much information that their guides want them to know about, you know, how did you get here? Where is this going to next? What are the lessons that you've chosen through this experience? Um, what are the gifts that are coming in for you? So when they get that kind of clarity, they're like, yeah, it, it just super it just motivates them. But the other part they get is confirmation because I hear that a lot at the end of the sessions is 
I knew that. Yes, I knew that, but I didn't trust myself. So hopefully what will happen out of this is that because they get confirmation on so much they already knew, that later when they start getting, oh yeah, I knew that, they can start trusting themselves more and more. So I think that's the biggest thing is, is more information about who they really are and more trust in who they really are. That's a biggie. And authenticity is something that we are all being required to step into. So we have been so accustomed and conditioned into wearing masks in an effort to be accepted, in an effort to fit in, in an effort to play the role that is expected by virtue of cultural norms or family dynamics and traditions, the pressures that come about from all of these things and being so-called adult in the way that one moves through the world to the point where people forget how to play and they don't even know what that means. And I think the crystals can open you up to that whole idea of reacquainting yourself with an imagination that hasn't been colonized by some external force that is telling you what you should do, what you should be, and all of these limitations and restrictions that prevent you from being your authentic self. You did mention in our previous conversations that at one point when you mentioned the fight or flight that in your instance what you encountered was the freeze could you elaborate on that notion of saying I don't know where to go I don't know what to do I'm paralyzed and I have no means of moving forward and how perhaps the crystals are a way of jump-starting that cataleptic state where you're so afraid to do anything that you don't do anything at all oh yeah yeah, it got that um, being in freeze was actually became my normal that I would end up in freeze and hadn't even realized I got there. And it would be two weeks down the road when I realized I'm still stuck in bed again. I'm still stuck here on the sofa because it became my go to place. That was the only place I felt safe was to shut down and to just not even let alone try something new, let alone even believe that I could do something new. So I want to just take a moment to go back to something you said at the beginning, and then I'll come back to freeze. When you were talking about the authentic self and the shoulds that are placed on us, the shoulds that are placed on us, I mean, they are placed on us from by our society, by our churches, by our parents, by the schools, by our peer groups. I remember one time I was living in Japan at the time, and I'd gone back to visit my family in Western Canada. And my mother was shooting me. My mother was very much of that generation that you do the shoots. And she was shooting me. My aunt was getting elderly. I should go see her while I'm here. My cousin had just had a new baby. I should go see my cousin. And I tried to explain to my mom that I don't do shoulds. I only do wants. And she was bobbled. And so I tried to explain to her that a should is something outside of ourselves. This is not necessarily what we want to do, it's what we, what we believe we should do for a variety of reasons. Keep our mom happy, to whatever it is. I now, when I find myself shoulding, I stop and I ask myself, can I shift this into a want? When, if you do go ahead with that action from a should, it's got a completely different energy. It's not something you really want to do. It's something you're doing because of, responsibilities, expectations, but when you can shift it over into a want, 
it has a completely different energy. Not only you're going to feel it, but the person receiving it is going to feel it different. So now that's a new, another tool I use is that when I find myself shooting, I stop and I ask myself, can I shift this over into a want? And a want brings joy and delight and sharing and giving. And then I have a whole different energy that I'm bringing into that situation. So if I can't switch it to a want, I don't do it because it's not best for me and it's not best for that other person. So that's one tool. The other tool was when we were talking about the inner child. Our inner child has been so bashed and battered and beaten down and not really supported. Many of us have forgotten how to play. To reach to your inner child, she has to know that you're there for her, her or he has to know that you're there for them and that they can trust you, that you're always going to be there, that you're always going to show up, that it's safe to turn to you when they need you. And how do you do that? You take your inner child out to play. So homework exercise, get a sheet of paper and on the left-hand side, write down seven things that you used to do for fun that you don't do anymore. And looking at that list will be illuminating. You're like, I used to do that. I used to love that. Whether it's something you did last year or something you did when you were three years old, write seven things that you used to do for fun. Then across from each one of those items, now write down why you don't give yourself permission because you're the one that's stopping yourself from having fun. So across from that, it could be, you know, I don't have the time. I don't have a playmate. I don't have the money. I don't have the equipment. Whatever it is, you write down why you don't give yourself permission. And now that list is going to be even more illuminating. Now your home, the next part is you go back to that list of seven and you pick one and you make a date with your inner child and you go out and play. And now look at this. You have a list of seven. That means you have one for every week. You take your inner child out every week. That inner child now knows that you show up regularly, that they can trust you and you're there for them. That is one of the really powerful ways to start healing your relationship with your inner child and that your inner child can then start trusting you. And also you get to go out and have fun. So now back to this question you had about freeze. Well, I was very, very fortunate. This happened, 2019 happened to me when I was living in Costa Rica and I was living in an extraordinary, within a community that had just amazing facilitators and healers and practitioners. And there was two that I was working with. One, she does somatic energy work and she really gave me a lot of tools because when my body goes into freeze, there's, there's just how you get out of it, you're stuck. And so she gave me some fantastic tools. And then the other one was, is a doctor of kinesiology. And she's almost what I call my body whisperer because your body holds all of this and is traumatized by all of this. It's not just a physical thing, it's a traumatic thing. And I was in trauma, I was in shock. So I was seeing both of these practitioners and that's where I got a glimpse of that I can get out of this. Because when I was so stuck down in of it, I had no idea how to get out of it. First of all, because I never imagined I'd ever end up in a place like that because I saw myself as a strong, dynamic, self-aware, spiritually grounded person. I had never imagined that I would end up in a place like this, not knowing how to even stand up again. So having these two different practitioners that I was seeing every week, they at least gave me tools I could see a glimpse of how I can get out of it. Working with them, I started using that. And I would have times when I was back into participating, back into active. And then I'd slip back into freeze again. 
And then I'd have to learn how to get out of it again. It was like a two-year process. So when I say the dark night of a soul, no, mine was. And from there, uh, I'm humble. <laughs> been really, really humbled and have learned now that the only way to go forward is baby steps. We sometimes tend to say, I've got to get going. I've got to push myself out of this. Well, pushing is not going to get you there. You know, you might get to the top of the mountain, but the blood, sweat, and tears are not going to be worth it. But if you love yourself out of it, I accepted that this is where I'm at. It's not where I want it to be, but this is where I am. And I have to I love myself right where I am. At the end of every day, I would consider the successes that I'd achieved. Even if the success was, I'm still standing, I didn't go into freeze. That was a success that day. Then I allowed the baby steps, you know what? They're still going to get me there. I might not get there as fast as I thought I'd like to, but I'm still going to get there. So recognizing and honoring my baby steps. Then from there, then I started to imagine, okay, well, what do I want next? How big do I want to go? What does it look like? And that's when I started dreaming again and started not dreaming as in when I'm sleeping, but dreaming in terms of just imagining, imagining what that's going to feel like, imagining how I'm going to be of service, how I'm going to be giving, how I'm going to be sharing the joy that I'm bringing into my life, let alone sharing into others. And that got me motivated because when you feel that emotional vibration, you get excited about it. You want to be part of that. And so then that starts attracting back to law of attraction. It starts attracting back more and more of those same vibrations. And so then that kept me motivated. There was one thing I wanted to get your opinion on with respect to those among us who are considered empaths. Insofar as many people can't distinguish some kind of an emotional miasma that may not be their own, but there is a pervasive element of that which they are exposed to and are beginning to absorb, but it isn't actually their own specifically. How would you suggest that be handled and how would the crystals be incorporated into a means of protecting your personal space both emotionally and energetically from that which surrounds you for example i find being in an urban environment i have to go out into nature to maintain my balance because even if it comes down to the amount of traffic that I have to encounter on the road and how many people are so wound up and angry that driving becomes a self-defense mechanism and you have to have the reflexes of a cat to get from point A to point B and it would normally take a fraction of that time but because there are so many cars on the road you have to factor in that it's going to take you half an hour to get four blocks in many instances so that can really put you in a tailspin from an energetic standpoint even if you're starting out on a positive level. So could you give some insights and some pointers on how people can establish, maintain boundaries, and then purge from things that they don't necessarily need to hold on to or should even embrace and distinguish that between something that's coming from a deep place that is in a personal wound? Yeah, that's a really good question. I remember one time I was sitting in my apartment in Japan and my life was in a good place. I was in a really good place. And yet emotionally, I was weeping. I mean, the ugly cry, you know, gasps. <laughs> and I was like, what is this about? I have no reason to be feeling this. And what I learned is to check in. 
So now when I have intense emotions, what I do is I check in and I ask, what percentage of this is mine? And whatever number comes in, and sometimes it's 7%, or sometimes it's 12%, or sometimes it's 75%. But if it's only 7% of that is mine, the rest of it is not mine. So then I learned that that was one of the roles that I actually agreed to when I came into this lifetime, was to be a transmuter. There are those of us who have agreed to come and assist mass consciousness by being a transmuter. So what I do then when I realize, okay, if this Whatever emotion I'm feeling, 7% of it is only mine. The only, the only part of it that's mine is 7%. Okay, fine. I need to address that 7%. But what do I do with the rest of that? That's when I will imagine if I can get to a nature space, I will do that so that then I can put my grounding down into the earth. If I can't get to a nature place, then I imagine because there are nature places that you can visualize, places, favorite places that you've been to. And then what I do is I imagine that I am putting grounding roots, that the roots are coming out of the bottom of my feet, the roots are coming out of the bottom of my tailbone, and they're going right down deep, deep into Mother Earth. And then what I do is I release that other, whatever, 60%, 80% that isn't mine, and I release it back down into Mother Earth. And I ask her, I say, please, cleanse, purify, and transmute this energy back into pure energy to be released and shared for all. Thank you. And that works. Because that I then I know that wasn't mine, and I don't have to take it. I don't have to try and process it. I don't even have to do anything with it, except support others where they're at. So in terms of protection, though, energetically, what I always imagine, of course, is your bubble of, of white light. You ask for that whenever you're in a situation. I would put, I even also put a bubble of white light around my car. And I put it, uh, you know, a couple of feet out in front of my car and to the sides of my car and behind my car so that there's an energy field all the way around. But the stone that I like the best for protection is obsidian. Obsidian is a stone that light can't even attract to it. Everything bounces off of it. So I would have a little pouch of obsidian that I kept in my car to protect my car. I have obsidian that I wear with me or if I'm doing energy work or whatever, I use it. So I would definitely suggest obsidian is a really powerful one to use for protection. Recognize, so like I said, stone picks you as much as you pick them. So how do you choose your stone? So whether or not you're at a crystal store or maybe you're at a market and there's a table of stones. Or maybe you're walking one day by the river and the stone catches your eye. It doesn't have to be some fancy crystal that you found in this beautiful crystal shop. It could be a rock that you find by the river. All stones have an energy. And when they catch your eye, they're choosing you for a reason. So what you want to do is you want to, whatever stone is, put it in your left hand. That's your receiving hand. And just open yourself up. You will feel there'll either be an image or an emotion or a word or something will come through and you'll feel a full body connection to that stone. And don't question it. Just trust it. I remember one time, this was when I was in Japan and I had gone to a big market. It was a, in this huge building and I walk in and at the first table, there's jewelry. And this was a piece of jewelry that was, this is a stone that had come from India. It was an extraordinary piece very expensive, but it grabbed me. And I call and I went over to it and I put it in my left hand and I asked, are you for me? And the stone said, well, you're not ready yet. 
And I went, oh, I was so disappointed because I love the design. I love the feel. I love the full body connection with it. And they said, you're not going to be able to wear this stone for quite a few years if you choose to buy it. And I went, okay. So I put it back down on the table. And then I walked around the room, the rest of the, and looked at all the different tables. But because this table was the beat, the first one you see when you come in, it was also the last one you see when you leave. So there it was, it was still there. So I went back again and I picked up the stone and the stone said, your vibration is not at the same place yet because stones have their own vibrations that they're at. I decided to buy it anyways. It took me 10 years and now I wear it regularly. So recognize that, that there are going to be times that when you pick up the stone, it might not be the right time for you, but it's your choice whether or not you want to keep it and keep working with it and you will eventually be in the same vibrational frequency. Other times I've picked up stones and I'm meant to buy the stone, but it's not actually meant for me because I'm meant to gift it to someone. Or also recognize a lot of times stones are hypersensitive. So when they're in a crystal store and they're not being properly respected and nourished, or when they're being picked up and put down and picked up and put down, they tend to dial themselves down. And so they don't have a really, really strong vibration. So recognize that as well when you pick up a stone that it might just have gone dormant. So there's that as well. And then when you're talking about anger, I know there's so much anger in the world right now. But recognize that while anger has its own message and what it wants you to hear about the situation, that anger is really sad's bodyguard. And I find that that really helps me when I'm looking at someone who's really angry and I'm trying to throw their anger at me is I stop and I go, wait a minute, this person's just incredibly sad. And these emotions, they come from their child. If this was a three-year-old in front of me having a temper tantrum, what would I do? I would care for them. I would have compassion for them. And I find that that gives me a lot more willingness to accept someone where they're at when I recognize that, yes, they're really angry but they also have this incredible sadness that is just trying to get out and it's usually from their inner child. So I find that gives me a lot more compassion when people around me are really not at their best and to just accept them where they're at and not let it and hold on to my space so I don't take it on. I'd say that would be particularly pertinent uh, if you're in a position where you're sharing a space with someone, whether it's a spouse a partner, a roommate, and if they're in a particularly negative headspace and you're being exposed to that on a daily basis, or say in some instances where you are doing a lot of inner work, but the person that is sharing your space is not, so you're moving at a different pace and finding yourself at a point where the differential, even from a frequency standpoint, is so big that you start asking yourself, should I even be sharing the space with this person. What is your advice in terms of these different paces by which people begin to recognize that change is necessary, move towards that change, but you have others who are lagging behind, or perhaps, as you say, from a fear standpoint, they stick to what they know 
and they want to cling to the familiar, even though that is dissolving, falling away. Our institutions are going to be replaced by something that I am hoping the collective chooses to create that is far superior in, in terms of cooperative, not hierarchical power structures. And that is a fact, at least astrologically, that we have to prepare ourselves for. But say in your immediate surroundings, when you've got a situation where a person is stubbornly sticking to that which they know, and it creates polarization to the point where you are in conflict for a good length of time, what would you suggest is the way to navigate that? And how would the stones in some way be able to smooth the waters in that situation? Well, I remember when I was a young child, I was convinced that I was adopted. This couldn't possibly be my real family because I was so different from them. It, it was really challenging for me to be a part of that family that I was so different. Then when I started working with my mentor and started learning that, well, wait a minute, I'm the creator of everything. We chose to come together as a family. We, I chose her as my mother. I chose him as my father. I chose him as my brother, my sisters. Okay, fine. So that was the first step for me is to accept that I chose to have this person in my experience, whether it's a roommate, whether it's a partner, whether it's a business person or whether it's a family member. I chose that person for a reason. So I'm not the good guy and they're not the bad guy and I'm not the bad guy and they're not the good guy. So I chose that person and they chose me. So that's the person as I found that that gave me a lot of peace to realize is that there's neither one of us is right or wrong that we chose each other. So then there's a guided meditation that I lead. And this is a really fabulous one because a lot of times the person you have standing in front of you, you're not necessarily able to talk to from the heart. They're in a whole different place. They're seeing the world very differently. They're maybe operating out of fear or they don't believe in anything that you believe in, but their higher self does. So this is a guided meditation where I ask people to do is imagine that they're standing on one side of a chasm. So they're on one side and there is this huge chasm, like the Grand Canyon. And then this person is on the other side of the chasm. But this person is them is their higher self. You as your higher self and them as their higher self. And then what I do is I invite them. I ask them, would you be willing to build a bridge across this chasm so we can speak to each other? And more often than not, they are. So then they build this, you together build this energetic bridge across this chasm and you walk out together. And that's a place where then you have the conversation, but you're speaking from your higher self. What is it you need to say to them? What is it that they need to say to you? And I find that that has really, I use this a lot with my clients, and that really helps to soothe whatever that relationship is, find a lot more acceptance, awareness of why we've chosen each other and a willingness to work together. Because that's something I've learned after living in so many different countries and cultures. There's no right and there's no wrong. There's different. And that means that no one is ever right and no one is ever wrong. Yes, this whole notion of cultural differences, the beauty of living in Toronto where I am is that we have extraordinary opportunity to have ethnic diversity Every continent is represented here and you have pockets of people who have immigrated from everywhere in the world, which makes for a cornucopia feast of restaurants where the food of the world is readily available to you. But you can also meet these people and get acquainted with very different approaches to 
everyday existence. And there is the beauty of that. But we also now have a hypersensitivity from a communication standpoint where people seem to have lost their sense of humor. And now you have to be so careful about the words you use to a point where you can offend somebody simply by talking to them long enough. And that lightheartedness of being has been replaced by a political correctness that has become so immensely heavy that it's as though the pendulum has swung in the opposite direction in terms of people who don't realize the the power of the words they're using because they're not sensitive to those who are hypervigilant about everything to a point where the words have to be changed in order to make them satisfied that what you're saying is not intended to be offensive. Where is the middle ground to that? So much is shifting, but this whole idea of interacting peacefully with one another, even if you don't share the same opinion, seems to be something that is very difficult to achieve these days. The chakra that is about communication is your throat chakra. And the color for your throat chakra, for your throat chakra is blue. So that's something that I really encourage people who are having the challenge of being able to speak up for themselves, to speak forward about themselves, is to see if you can wear some blue. So whether or not that's just a blue scarf around your neck, or whether you can have a blue stone that's on a necklace around your neck, or you have a blue ribbon that you put in your left-hand pocket. That will really be a big help with just bringing that energy blue in. But I also encourage people to realize is that when you're communicating, it's not just about going blah and vomiting, verbally vomiting all over somebody. It's about, first of all, taking the time that you're really, really clear on what it is you need to say. Because what you need to say is from your perspective. It's not about the other person did this and the other person did that and this pisses me off. It's about how does it affect me? That's being really, really clear. So taking the time, first of all, that you're really clear about what it is you need to say, but also doing it in a way that's really clean because it has to be safe enough. The language you use has to be safe enough for the other person to hear it so that they're willing to keep participating in that conversation. As I mentioned earlier, there's a group that has created what's called nonviolent communication. Powerful, powerful work. And the premise is, is that most communications for people who are not either aware or willing is, is that it's usually a violence. It's not violence as in, you could, you know what I mean, you know, throwing swear words or making you wrong. But in most conversations, you're trying to change someone else's mind. And you're trying to be the top, come out on top in the conversation. And so there is a degree of what would be considered violence. And so this group does trainings, and I am taking this training twice. It's on how to communicate in a way that you don't have to defend yourself and you don't trigger the other person that they feel they have to defend themselves. You're speaking your truth, but you're doing it from your own authentic self and you're doing it with language that the other person feels safe enough to hear. I would highly recommend, there's workshops, there's books, um, there's courses, with nonviolent communication. And what I find now is, you know, I don't use it in everyday conversation, but if I'm in a situation where that needs it, I now have the tools. The other thing that I've also found is that sometimes when you have to have that really big conversation, this is usually someone you're in relationship with, whether it's a love relationship or a work relationship or a family relationship, and you need to have, we need to have a talk. What I find now happens is, is that I spend the time beforehand so that I'm really, really clear on what it is and need to say. What is my part? How does this trigger me? What does this make me feel? And then I'm really clear on what I need to say. 
And then I let it alone and I turn it over to God and I say, God, if I'm meant to say this, you create the timing. And what happens is that person will come to me, can we have some time to talk? And they've already got there. If I was to decide I'm ready to talk about this and then pushed it on them, they may not be ready yet. They may not be there yet. They not, may not be willing to hear me. But if I say, okay, this is the conversation I want to have. I need this conversation, but I turn it over to God. God creates what I call divine appointments. And suddenly the phones don't ring or there's an amazing opening in a calendar or you find that you end up bumping into that person in the park and you sit down and talk. I've had the most extraordinary conversations because I've turned it over. Because sometimes it's not my job to bring up that conversation. This is a lesson that that person is learning and that I'm participating in, but maybe I'm not meant to be the teacher. Maybe they're supposed to learn it on their own. So I also check in with that. Is it, am I even supposed to speak this? And if I am, then I just turn it over to God and I say, God, you make the timing for this. And when I do, they're already in that place. They're already willing and able to have that conversation. That makes a difference. Excellent. And on another note, Another institution that I believe is rapidly metamorphosizing is the educational system. So how would you incorporate what you have learned through your life experience and introduce that to the next generation? Children are sponges and they, and they love to explore and they're seeing the world through innocent eyes and understanding the crystal kingdom and how to work with that crystal kingdom. Wouldn't that be just marvelous if that was part of a curriculum and getting acquainted with the mineral world and how you resonate with that and how it can be approached from a healing standpoint? Would you encourage teachers to include that amongst their activities for children while they're within the school system as part of a means of learning how to appreciate the world that we live in? Oh, yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? I know, you know, we always talk about children are our next generation. They're the next leaders, you know, they're the ones who are going to be taking us forward. And yet, how do we support them? How do we encourage their growth? And how do we support them in living, in walking into their dreams, walking into their purpose, instead of shutting them down and trying to program them into the shoulds of what society wants them to be instead. And I have been a teacher for many years. I taught in schools, teaching English in Japan and teaching English online. So I have been a teacher for many years. You're right about sponges. Children, they just, they are eager. They are so, so eager. I remember there was a father, when I lived in Costa Rica, there was a father and he was very determined that he didn't want his son to go into the regular education system because of all the things that we talked about. And so what he chose instead is he chose to let his son guide his own education. So his son would be interested in, I wonder how you build a fort. Well, let's research that. That was his whole approach to education with his son is what are your interests and let's feed those. And then you and then the child would guide whatever it was, the project that they were working on, the research that needed to go into it. Um, how do you build this? Um, what do you grow for that? Um, which parts do you need? Oh, that didn't work. OK, well, what do we learn from that? That would be how I would like to see education more of or what are your interests to each child and then say, OK, so what do you want to do to learn more about that, to feed more about that? But how do we incorporate that in the education system we have today? I don't know. 
But as you said, I think that our world is in such a time of extraordinary change. And I think that's, all, that's also triggering so much of the fear and the anger and the sense of hopelessness and hopelessness is because when we look around us, everything appears to be crumbling. And it's not just the education system, it's the government, it's the medical field, it's communication. And so all of that is crumbling. When you look around it, it would be very easy to go into fear and to go into anger and to go into hopelessness and helplessness. But when you recognize, first of all, all empires collapse. The Roman Empire collapsed, the Indian Empire collapsed, the British Empire collapsed. Nothing lasts forever. So it was there for when we needed it. We needed that kind of an empire during that time. That was what people needed. But it no longer served mankind. It does not serve us any longer. And not only does it not serve us, but we as mankind are evolving. The thing is, is that we have not reached our state of evolution yet. So we don't know where we're going. That's a scary thing, too, is that you're seeing everything around you crumble. And yet, where is it going? We don't know where it's going. How do you do that? How do you live in that kind of chaos and still hold your center? I think that would be the biggest that right now in this time of destruction and chaos, as well as the possibilities that are showing up, is how do you hold your center? How do you hold your center so that that eye of the you're in the eye of the storm and yet the hurricane is going around and around and around you and yet you in the center is holding your your center? How do you hold on to that? And that comes down to your daily practices. Your daily practices that nourish you, that nurture you, whether it's sitting in the garden, hugging a tree, eating good food, hugging your dog on a regular basis or meditating or journaling or walking in nature. What do you, so every day you need to feed yourself. I don't know if you know much about grounding and earthing. Yeah, there's a fantastic documentary that they made about this. They are anticipating that this is going to be the medical breakthrough of our century. There is a fantastic video. You can just go on YouTube and I think it's called Earthing. And it explains how someone discovered this and then how they're now actually researching it. Doctors are doing medical research on it. Studies are being done on it. And the kind of shifts and healings that are coming out of it. But what it also does in terms of grounding and keeping your center. Because the premise is, is that when rubber was discovered, we all ended up with rubber under our shoes. Before that, we were walking barefoot primarily, or um, had leather under our shoes, which was a natural fabric, we were connected with the earth. So the earth has an electromagnetic field, and so do we. So when we were able to still connect with that, the earth kept us grounded. The earth kept us centered because we were always connected, either because we were walking barefoot or we were walking in leather shoes. Then the other thing is what we were sleeping on the ground. So when rubber was discovered and they put rubber under all of our shoes, rubber is not a conductive. So we were no longer connected when we were walking with the energy that was coming from the earth. Now with the concrete, how many floors up are you sleeping? You can't get connected. That's the premise is that if you spend just 15 minutes a day with your feet and your hands or as much as your skin as you can touching the earth, this will ground you. You will find your calm. You will find your center. You will stay stable. And that's another one that you can use. Like you said, the chaos around us and the anger and the reactions 
and the doubts and it holds your center because each of us has chosen to be here during this time. And so each of us has a purpose that's contributing to the shift that's happening right now and this incredible leap that we're all making. Each of us, some of us are going to have bigger jobs than others. Some of us are going to be out there speaking and traveling the world. But you, in your garden or in your kitchen, each of us has a part in this. And holding your center and raising your vibration is the part that you can be doing. I can't think of a more perfect way to conclude this conversation. And I can't thank you enough for making time to share your wisdom and to give people a very practical and easy to adopt way of walking through this shift. I very much am looking forward to this transformation. It's very exciting. And naturally, when you can't see the exact road that you're traveling, it can be a daunting circumstance. But if we open up our hearts and walk hand in hand, then the only way is towards a beautiful, bright future. So thank you for shedding that light and bringing the Crystal Kingdom into the equation. Jeanette, how can people get a hold of you so they can avail themselves of your services? And what is the website that you have that they can check in with you? Okay, I have just created a brand new website. That was a big, big challenge for me. I'm what I call technologically resistant. Uh, because I started traveling before the internet came around, when I came back into what would be considered normal, the quantum leap of technology was just mind-boggling for me. So doing anything with technology is rather daunting for me. So I'm feeling very, very proud of myself that I have created my very first website. It's called Crystal Connections. In Crystal Connections, you'll see I'm not only do I offer different types of online services, but I also have two free gifts. I have a, a weekly Zoom call. It's a group Zoom call. It's um, 10 people maximum. And in that call, what I do is each person can bring one question that they have for their guides. They bring one question to the call. I will then use that PDF sheet that we were talking about, and they will pick the stones. That will be the answer to their one question. So that one happens every week. And then also once a month, I also have a draw where I pick one person to get a complete crystal reading. So those are my gifts. I have a weekly call and then a once a month crystal session. Then I also have other sessions that I do online, but I also have two workshops. I'm also going to be developing guided meditations. When you go on the homepage, it says step up and claim your gifts and talents. Step out and share them with the world. And that's what I'm doing. And that's why I'm so excited by this opportunity to speak to your community and this opportunity to share some of the tools that have helped me to step up and step out. And then hopefully I can offer to your listeners that they can use in their lives when they're ready to step up, step up and claim who you truly meant to be and step out and share it with the world because we're just waiting for you. You came here with this purpose, and this is why you're here. We're just waiting for you to show up. That is glorious. Thank you so much once again. And I look forward to having further conversations. Thank you for allowing us to have a heart-to-heart -heart conversation by way of a tool that gives me the privilege of talking to you when you are thousands of miles away. But close to my heart, 
And thank you for connecting with my audience. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you so much for this time, Yvonne. Bye, everybody.